Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. At The Resident, all rooms are designed to combine pure comfort with luxurious British style and design. Whether you're escaping to London for a romantic break or visiting the city with friends and family, there's no better place to stay in the heart of the neighbourhood. Without The Resident, you might not get to London. And without The Resident, we wouldn't be here on Holyrood Sources. Holyrood Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident. The podcast starts now. Mr Speaker, on Sunday the Prime Minister patronised the public when he told them that in the face of ever-increasing mortgage bills that they simply need to hold their nerve. What a nerve. So may I ask him, the near billionaire, when was the last time that he struggled to pay a bill? Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. We're recording on Tuesday the 18th of July. I'm Kyla McDonald. Great to be with you. And Luke, who's back from holiday, it's only Andy McKeever, the former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Andy, hello. You make it sound like I've been away for months. Yeah, so it felt like a while. Yeah, oh, the, the pictures, the, the unnecessary pictures of you on your Lilo in the WhatsApp group were a little unnerving. Unnerving. It sounds terrible. Perfectly, with a perfectly family-friendly PC photo. Uh, Jeff Aberdeen is here too. Former, former chief of staff to Alex Salmond when he was first minister. Hello, Jeff. Hello, and I've not been in holiday, and I'm getting a bit grumpy about that fact. (laughs) Do you have any planned? Any holidays planned? No, uh, that is one of the. Downsides of having a young child, so I'll get a few oh, days true. off in August, but um, uh, nothing planned sadly at this rate. And uh, again, I'm grumpy about that. <laughs> I've, 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 I've known you for over a decade now, Jeff. How do you get ungrumpy? I've not discovered that yet. <laughs> I promised myself that I'm not going to swear as much as I did last series. So thank you, Andy, for your constructive feedback. <laughs> That's very pleasant. What a pleasant Lovely. start to the podcast. Good. Uh, we're Gosh. back. <laughs> oh, Welcome to Hollywood Sources. It's great to have, it's great to have the guys back. Uh, of course, we're here every single week for you, dropping into your podcast feed. Make sure you follow and subscribe. And if you are a paid subscriber, thank you very much. You're supporting the podcast in a way like no other, which is very, very kind of you. And also, I should say at this point, as well as getting uh, an ad-free listening experience, you will be the first to hear of any, well, potentially quite exciting announcements that might be coming your way in the not-too-distant future. That's if you're a paid subscriber Uh, You can read in the description below how to do that. Right, let's welcome our guest for this week as well. It is Stephen Flynn, who is the SNP's leader at Westminster. Stephen, hello. All right, Callum, how are we doing? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, you're you're about to go on holiday, aren't you? Recess is imminent. Uh, Recess is not a holiday, man. This is when we we go back to the constituencies and work very hard and (laughs) Jeff stop laughing uh, and uh, have our our constituent surgeries and... (laughs) And the like, yeah. but yes, I won't have to come down to London, uh, which I'm kind of looking forward to. Well, that's nice, and that's—I mean—that's you preparing for the future in many ways, is it not? You not having to come to London anymore. 
Oh, we'll maybe get on to that, Calvin. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's Straight off the bat. <laughs> it's great to have you there. Uh, we're going to have a conversation with Stephen over the course of the next little while. Of course, as you listen, you can respond and we'll read out your emails on the next episode. The email address is hello at hollyroodsources.com. Um, Jeff, shall we start, first of all, just by um, considering Winnie Ewing? I think it's important that we do that, given that we've been off for a couple of weeks. And uh, there was a memorial service just last weekend for Winnie Ewing, who was, well, I mean, you'll describe her better than I will, I suppose, but a real giant for the SNP and for independence as well. Yeah, a a huge figure. And uh, I had the great privilege of meeting her on a number of occasions in my young SNP budding career. Uh, There's two things or two reflections I would would have. Um, Firstly, the thing I noticed about Winnie is it didn't matter if she was talking to me, a lowly SNP staffer, or if she was talking to John Swinney, Nicola Sturgeon, Alex Salmon. She always gave whoever she was talking to the same amount of time and um, advice and guidance and uh, razor-sharp wit. Uh, And and listen, I'm not going to add to all the things and the platitudes that we said about they're all deserved. She was an amazing and inspiring woman. And I think, secondly, that's evidenced by anyone that you talk to, regardless of their political background in public life in Scotland, or just members of the public. They all remember her fondly um, for her amazing contribution to, to Scottish public life. And that's very rare, actually, uh, and particularly in this day and age. And, and I think uh, you know, all of our condolences go to, to the Ewing family and friends of, of that great woman. Yeah, absolutely. And Andy, on that, I mean, the Ewing family, the Ewing political dynasty, really, I mean, there are there are lots of Ewings in public life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, two um, serving still in the Scottish Parliament now. Um, Scotland, I think, unfortunately, lacks political giants across the spectrum, to be honest with you. Um, I, I've been reflecting on this a little bit uh, over the last few weeks, not necessarily entirely because of Winnie Ewing, but um, you know, we're hearing quite a lot of of policy and new thoughts uh, flying around at the moment, and too many of them come from Westminster. Um, there's actually not enough that comes from Holyrood, and I, I just think our politics across the board, unionist and nationalist across all parties, I just think we lack big people, big figures, big thinking, and I think it's quite sad in many ways, actually. So, uh, you know, Scot- Scottish politics needs more giants, needs more Winnie Ewings. Mm. Stephen Flynn, do you agree with that? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Who are the characters? Who are the people that could come close to comparison to Winnie Ewing? Well, I think in terms of comparing anyone to, to Winnie, it's going to be pretty difficult. That's a that's kind of a high bar. Uh, I, I'm actually, you know, it's one of my regrets that I've never had the opportunity to to meet Winnie, uh, to meet her properly and to, and to listen to her and to, to learn from her because what she achieved... In, in terms of Scottish National Party history is, is astonishing, absolutely astonishing. You just can't imagine that happening, uh, properly groundbreaking stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think in politics, in, in general, I, I would probably just push back on Andy a wee bit there because, you know, when I'm when I'm looking at the, the big figures in Scottish politics, the grandees, um, you know, the likes of John Swinney jumped straight to my mind. Uh, a man who, yeah, cut his teeth <laughs> down here, um, but the look at the, the legacy he's had, and again, I think right across the political spectrum, there's there is that respect. Is is there enough John Swinney's? Um, maybe not, um, but maybe that's maybe that's to come uh, because, of course, our parliament is still still pretty young, uh, and, and there's still people coming through. Um, so, in the years to come, maybe there'll be there'll be many more. How do you cultivate that? What do you have to do to cultivate the John Swinney's? He'd be a good guy. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, uh, um, you know, yeah, I think I think in politics you can you can have a really strong views, and um, but it's how you practice them that matters. There's the old saying of uh, you can disagree without being disagreeable, and I think uh, John perfected the art of that, um, and, and and still does. And the you know the ability to to engage with people on a very personal level is a is a difficult thing in politics. Politi- politicians in particular. Can often seem pretty detached, and um, some of them come from backgrounds which are so far fetched and, and so far detached from from your average from your average person that, that folk just don't find them believable, uh, and they often find themselves defending the indefensible, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to, to today in respect to, to some of the labour stuff that it doesn't make them credible people, um, and 
and you know I think there's it's difficult sometimes for politicians to step away from that but you've kind of got to um, and that's where that's where like so John have, have had that longevity in, in Scottish politics yeah I mean I, I agree with that I think something that maybe to Andy's point that maybe politicians today don't fully grasp um, and might be I'm being unfair to some but perhaps just a general rule they don't grasp is that all politics is local and what Winnie Ewing taught us is that she could go into a constituency and know she was speaking to those that weren't potentially uh, aligned to her thinking, but have them come away and go, do you know what, I really like and respect her. She could talk mm-hmm. their language. And I think politicians of all persuasions need to remember that, that that ability to chime with the needs, the challenges, the opportunities that the person on the ground faces is absolutely paramount if you're to be successful. From that platform, you can grow a much bigger reputation and turn yourself into that grandee, of course. Mm. Yeah. Are you are you worried, Stephen, that you're losing potential grandees at this point, particularly from the Westminster group of SNP MPs? Um, Philippa Whitford is the latest to announce that she's not going to contest the next general election, so she's now the eighth uh, of your group to say they're standing down. How are you feeling about that? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it would be a, a case of losing grandees because you don't. I don't think you necessarily have to be within a parliament to 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 be a grandee. I think there's a there's there's an ability to to influence politics, perhaps even more so when when you're not a politician. Uh, I think it was Tony Benn who famously said that when he was stepping away, he was doing so so he could do more politics. <laughs> um, and I, I've no doubt that the likes of, likes of Dr. P, who is, I mean, she's phenomenal. Uh, the career that she's had, uh, and then to come into politics with, uh, with her style and her personality, and to be so knowledgeable and, and personable. Um, you know, I, I've no doubt she's still got a huge amount to offer public life, the the, the SNP and and the independence movement going forward. And, and you know that applies to to others as well, like to Stuart Hosey. Um, I think everyone's very well aware of the fact that uh, I've got a huge amount of time for for Stuart, um, and um, I, you know I was I was gutted when he told me that he was that he was planning on on stepping away, but I wasn't surprised because uh, you know I think when you've been in politics for so long on the front line. Um, and when you're you're getting on in years a wee bit, I'll be nice to him uh, <laughs> for a change. Um, I think I think he has a, a well deserved retirement coming up, uh, and and you know perhaps he'll get more time to go to Tannadice and watch Dundee United lose to to really um, pretty poor teams this season. So uh, <laughs> sorry, I you've pushed I the button, just, I just WhatsApped uh, the guys there to say whatever happens, we must talk about Dundee United. So let's take the opportunity. You've opened up that that goal for me uh, uh, to score. No, I, I, I think people need to understand that it, Stephen is my local MP and he is a very visible uh, uh, MP. He does a lot of campaigning, going back to what we're saying locally. But one thing that I do rather, uh, shall we say, dislike, the only thing I dislike about our local member of parliament is that uh, he's the member of Parliament for Aberdeen South, but supports Dundee United. <laughs> and the, he and I often have a bit of uh, knocking uh, uh, back and forth, shall we say, uh, over WhatsApp on the fortunes of our respective teams. And it might be worth reflecting that I actually played for Spartans Football Club, albeit at the amateur level some time Did ago. Did you? So, Stephen, what are your kind of reflections on this uh, 1-0 defeat in the League Cup? <laughs> To, 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 to Spartans that's, that's quite humiliating is it not you know what I, I feel like I've been brought on this podcast under false pretenses uh, and uh, <laughs> this, this, is, this isn't fair uh, like, well what do I think of Dundee United getting beat by Spartans uh, probably nothing that I can say that you can broadcast uh, <laughs> did, you see, did you see the video of the fan going a bit mad at yes. the, the players and, and Big Davey Bowman um, that, I mean that wasn't me, but I was uh, I was uh, <laughs> I, I was channeling a wee bit of that from uh, from the house in Aberdeen. No, it's uh, it's bleak, is it? It's and the most annoying thing, like see see your team losing and getting relegated, and like it's really frustrating uh, on a personal level. But what makes it worse is that you can't stop people like you, Jeff, from getting in touch just to rub it in on an almost daily basis. So uh, yeah, if, if we. If we want to move the conversation on to politics, like really quickly, <laughs> I'd be, well, I'd be relaxed say, about that. I mean, 
regular listeners will know that it's quite a fluid podcast, Stephen. So it does go from thing to. Uh, but we but we do we do have some basic structure in place most of the time. And Callum and Jeff and I have got a little WhatsApp group where we discuss that. And I have to say. At this point, I don't know if we're just rusty after two weeks off. I don't know where in the podcast we are at this point. Are we still in the intro? Are we at the end? I mean, I don't even know. I don't, I'm not sure at this point where we are. Right? We're already on the Spartans <laughs> after five I, minutes. I was worried that the end had suddenly appeared without... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff's ambush over Spartans was you know, anticipated, I, but not I, so soon. I'll bring it back to politics as Thank requested you, by our guest. Oh, no. um, <laughs> <laughs> the, there is an interesting thing <laughs> about the um, about the uh, the resignations ahead of the next election. I mean, I, I was thinking about this a little bit with Ben Wallace having announced mm. that he's standing down as well. Um, I've known Ben Wallace for uh, a long. I've not spoken to him uh, for many years, but I've known him for a long time because he and I were uh, in the same place when he was an MSP, um, and I was working there in the very early days of the Scottish Parliament before the building was actually built. Uh, when we were in an old council office at the site of what is now Hotel Mazzoni or whatever it's called, up the uh, Royal Mile, and Ben was very obviously, uh, you know, of a uh, cut from a different cloth to everybody else, and was a very impressive and substantial figure right then. And it's just it's quite interesting to think of why people leave politics generally. Um, sometimes before their time. Some of the SNP uh, resignations are people who, as they've said themselves, are retiring. So they're not, you know, they're not necessarily leaving in their prime. Yeah. A lot of it is natural. But there are people who are leaving politics and who have left politics when the general population shouldn't really want them to. From a whole range of sides, you know, there are good people here, and it happened in 2021 at the Scottish Parliament as well. You know, Aileen Campbell, excellent cabinet minister. Um, left, uh, Gail Ross left, Kez Dugdale left, Ruth Davidson left. So a lot of good people who don't want to be in politics anymore for a whole host of reasons, but often because um, as a country we just make it too unattractive, too difficult to be in politics. The risk reward is not there. And I think that's something which everybody across the spectrum needs to reflect on a lot more because you know the truth is we don't have enough quality in politics and that's not individual comments about any MSPs or MPs that we have in the parliament but I don't think the general level is high enough um, and when we start losing good people we've got to ask ourselves why why can't we keep good people why can't we get good people uh, because the general level is not there and then whenever I hear about another resignation I have to say I don't I don't really subscribe to the whole, you know, SNP and turmoil thing because a few MPs have decided not to stand again. I think that's, you know, that's just kind of political talk. But mm. what I do think is there's another person who doesn't want to be a politician anymore. Why not? Yeah. Is that what you're picking up, Stephen? Yeah, I actually think that's that's a pretty important point because, um, you know, I keep getting asked about, about Mary, who, you know, I know really well um, and he's been certainly from political opponents there's been this desire to say oh yeah she's she's jumping ship because she knows what's coming and it like it genuinely couldn't be further from the truth she just she has been buffeted for the best part of eight years despite being the youngest politician elected in over 300 years and rather than you know society almost celebrating the fact that we had someone so young um, willing to put themselves on, on the biggest political stage to, you know, try and change people's lives, um, which is why we all get into politics. The the underbelly of society just went after her, and it is incessant. And you know, I I, I kind of reflect upon the fact that the other week when when she decided to to step aside, I put a wee photo up of uh, of Mary, um, just being a, a lovely person on the on the terrace down at Westminster. And holding one of my kids and the replies were just obscene and you're like this is this is not normal politics shouldn't be like this and you know that combined with the, the way Westminster can be has obviously led to her mm. taking the taking the the door out um but I, I think that that invokes like what Andy said a, a much bigger discussion about about why that is, and I think as a as a society, we need to all reflect upon that. And some of the other examples that Andy's given from the from the Scottish Parliament, and you've probably lobbed Jean Freeman into that mix as well, um, and um, the the Conservative 
professor from Glasgow whose name has completely escaped my mind. Adam, yeah. uh, Adam Tompkins. Uh, Adam Tompkins, yeah, yeah, um, as well. I mean, I disagree with his politics extensively, but surely we want to have uh, different views in the parliament of, of a good of a good standard and a good quality. So, yeah, I think there, there is a much wider discussion, but also reflection uh, to be had in relation to some of this stuff, for yeah. sure. I, I was driving down to Glasgow and there was a, a Radio Scotland call-in or after Mary Black stood down on on you know the toxicity of politics um, and the role of social media, and I there was an an argument putting forward by uh, a former MSP Tory MSP Mary Scanlon that it was the independence referendum in 2014 that was a large largely responsible for a lot of this, and I had I was incensed, um, and I called in I, I pulled up on the lay by and called in uh, much to my fiance and my uh, six week year old baby's uh, 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 frustration but I thought that missed the point entirely uh, and you know in 2014 we had uh, an 86 or 87% turnout mass participation in a political exercise and that should always be um, welcomed of course uh, but to suggest that it was only confined to, to Scotland is a nonsense. Mm. Um, and that social media does have a massive role to play. And we're not going to cover this today. But there are so many anonymous accounts and keyboard warriors out there that just spout toxic pish in, in the direction of all politicians, of mm -hmm. all persuasions. And I think it has to be regulated. It cannot be beyond the wit or the ability of our uh technology companies to find a way to stop anonymous accounts because bet your bottom dollar that people uh, being themselves on social media are far less likely to throw about that um, uh, those labels and, and criticism if they're uh, uh, being outed as themselves and so there is a massive that's just one step of course to what is a wider toxicity and there's also a lack of respect a much lack of, a bigger lack of respect even in those 10 years in my opinion for an opposing view held uh, and we do need to confront that in our mm. politics because we shouldn't be losing these people at all. Yeah, I suppose with that in mind, Stephen, does this does do moments like this where somebody like Mary Black points to these things that you've outlined and justifiably so? How much introspection does that cause within political parties and in this context within the SNP? Because if we think about the last few days. Both toxicity and a lack of respect have been particularly apparent between Angus McNeil and the rest of the SNP at Westminster, it would seem. I think, well, in terms of Angus, like, I think it's pretty clear that, uh, <laughs> that we disagree on something. But, you know, I was getting asked by the by some journals earlier about the situation on Angus, and I'll probably cover it off uh, just now. Look, in politics, we all disagree. And as I said earlier, it's about how you, how you do that. Um, but what you don't get to do in life is, if you're a party member, is decide when you do and don't hold the whip. I mean, that's a pretty basic thing of, of the political structure. Um, I've got no animosity, really, towards Big Angus. Um, he's he's a, a lovely character. Um, there's few people that you'd like to spend time with more than the, than Angus, but he's he's obviously made a, a decision which, which I don't agree with. And, you know, the party structures will determine what, what happens what happens next um, and you know hopefully we can get to to a, a situation where where everyone's happy but I'm realistic enough to to know that in politics that's not always the case um, and I, I don't want to necessarily prejudge anything because um, I don't think that's fair and Angus or those folk who are going to have to to go through the, the party's internal processes with them um, but it, I do find it disappointing we've reached this point for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. is it is, does it contribute? I mean, how does it make you feel? It must be it must be quite tense when you've got these sort of disciplinary things floating around. Uh, I mean, you'd rather you'd rather do without it and, and focus on the the day to day stuff. But you know, it's like any it's like any walk of life. If you're if you're in a business and, and you think that you're going to have to go and do X, Y, or Z that day, and then something happens on the on the shop floor, then then circumstances change. Mm. Um, but you know, it, it doesn't really deviate my focus from what I need to be doing um, and so it doesn't deviate my colleagues' focus on, on what they need to be doing uh, either because we know we've got a, a fight on our hands at the moment and we can't really get into a situation where we're, where we're not focused entirely on that and we're focused on, on other stuff because, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to forgive ourselves in that regard but I don't think the, the public would, would forgive us either 
if we were constantly um, thinking about internal things rather than thinking about the things which, which matter most to them. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. News has reached us from our friends at the Resident Hotels, without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022. And the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically... What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, book The Resident. Right, let's get into this then. So, you, this, and I don't like to put you under any undue pressure, Stephen, but you'll, I'm not going to tell you something that you don't already know, that you're about to face your biggest moment uh, in terms of being Westminster leader of the SNP, going into a general election period where it does look like there's going to be some losses to the Labour Party. How many, uh, I would contend, depends a lot on how uh, you corral your group at Westminster and how you strategise ahead of that. Can you give us, without revealing any particular elements of the manifesto, of course, we understand that. Unless you'd like to. to yeah. <laughs> well, after after Jeff's slapping comments earlier, then that's that's not happening. <laughs> Fair play. But, but how 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 do you how do you see the context just now? What are the opportunities to try and arrest this apparent decline you see in the polls? What are you going to go after? What are you going to pitch the SNP tent on at this election, and um, to really try and? Uh, galvanise what has been, let's be honest, quite a tricky period for the party, both north and south of the border. So, so th- th- there's a couple of things uh, in there, Jeff. And to start off with, I think it's it's worthwhile reflecting on the fact that, that whilst there has certainly been a drop off in support, it's very much plateaued. Just as Labour's rise uh, in support has uh, has evened itself out. And you know, I think a lot of the talk about a Labour surge in Scotland has certainly been overstated because we're not actually even in a general election campaign yet. And, you know, stuff like what's happened over the course of the last 48 hours in relation to to Keir Starmer and his decision to basically undermine uh, Scottish Labour and to take a completely different tack to to Anna Sarwar in relation to the the two-child cap gives us an insight into what's going to happen over the course of the next sort of 14 months or so as we go into that general election that you know, ultimately it will be London Labour that dictates what's happening and Scottish Labour are going to have to hold on to the, the coattails. And ultimately, a lot of what London Labour are going to say, in my view, is not going to be overly popular with uh, the populace in, in Scotland. And I think a lot of folk are going to be thinking the old adage of sort of what's the point of Scottish Labour. But to, to kind of ditch that aspect and focus more on ourselves, because whilst we, I think, we're going to be aided by our opposition uh, more than what perhaps we have been up till now for sure 
we also need to focus on the things that we can control and that's the second part of this and it's probably the most important part for me and um, so as it stands at this moment in time if you go and chat someone's door which jeff i know you know that i do quite a lot um, in, in the constituency and indeed right across Scotland over the course of recent months, folk will say that the biggest issue they've got is cost of living, whether it's uh, their energy bills over winter, whether it's their food bills just now, whether it's trying to uh, meet the mortgage payments or the, or the rent payments. And, you know, I think it's incumbent upon us as politicians to be in the same space um, as the public, to be talking about the things that matter to them, to be trying to put forward solutions, to be to be really chatting on the UK government's door on their behalf and saying, this is a problem. What are you going to do to fix it? Because if we are not there doing it, then nobody's going to be there doing it. Um, so we can't lose sight of that cost of living aspect. But we also, we can't lose sight of the big constitutional issues either. Now, I've listened to the, the podcast previously and around Brexit um, and and some of the some of the, the different views that, that exist there. But I actually do think Brexit is going to be relevant to the general election for the, for the very simple reason that when we are looking for real change um, and we're looking for real hope, as I believe the public are, you don't get that from the two Westminster parties at the moment. They, they're both offering very much the same thing when it comes to our relationship with the European Union. I mean, the quickest way to grow the economy, which we all want to see happen, is to increase the tax base. The, the easiest way to do that at the moment would be to have more people at working age in the economy. But yet we've put up a door to that happening with the end of the freedom of movement. We, we've created artificial bar barriers um, unnecessarily. Um, by um, by removing ourselves from the single market. I think that matters. It matters to businesses. It matters to, to people. But there's also the bigger constitutional argument on independence. And, you know, there's going to be, and there will continue to be, a lot of pressure on the SNP to say, look, what's the process? Um, how, how are you going to ensure that this happens? Because we've given you multiple mandates now. And, you know, what? I think that's a fair challenge. But it's also a fair challenge for Keir Starmer when he um, comes north or or Rishi when he jumps on his, his helicopter and comes north. They're going to have to outline how Scotland, should it choose to vote in a certain way, is, is allowed to have its say. And up till now, they've not done it. And you, the pressure's always been on us, but that pressure's going to be on them as well. And when you're in the heat of a general election campaign, it's simply, it's not credible for the leader of the incoming Prime Minister, the leader of the Labour Party, to just shrug his shoulders and say, no, you're not going to get a say. So when we, when we look at where our opposition is, when we look at where we need to be, um, I think I think 14 months out, I'm quite confident that things will be in a better place come the general election. And, and a lot of that's going to require hard work. It's going to require discipline. It's going to require unity. Um, but it also needs that sort of other added ingredient that we were talking about earlier, which is sort of believability. You know, I, I get it. Um, like, I'm not... I'm not from a, an esteemed family, an esteemed household. I'm a, I'm a working class lad who's who's had to see things when he's grown up, which uh, which I wish I didn't have to. And I've experienced things myself. I understand the challenges people are facing, um, and I want I want to be on their side. I am on their side, and in the heat of an election, I think that counts for a lot. Absolutely. Just Andy's going to come in and know because he wants to ask you about this. Uh, can I just tease out you though? Surely management of expectations is crucial at this election for the SNP, right? Except everything that you have said. But if we are to believe the polls, and I think there's a big test going to come up in, in Rutherglen as well, which I suspect will be a pretty, pretty challenging night for the SNP. Do you not also, in, in addition to what you've said, need to be able to sort of say, look, within yourself, if not publicly, what's an acceptable amount of losses? For a, and, and Hamza's tried to articulate his independence position by winning the most seats. Is that the target that you're setting yourself? Or are you going higher than that? Do you just want to use 10? What's in your head right now? I think if any politician was to say that they were approaching um, a general election or a Scottish Parliament election or a council election by, by thinking how much you're going to lose, then they're in the wrong mindset. Uh, and I'm... I'm not in that space. Um, I am very confident that if we can park the issues, resolve the issues that we've had internally within the party, focus upon connecting, reconnecting with the public on the biggest issues that matter. And by the way, I think Hamza's uh, kind of set out his stall in the right direction uh, in that regard. The, the re-engagement with the business community, certainly in the northeast of Scotland, there's, there's been a lot of, of positives there. The investment that's gone directly into the cost of living crisis where the Scottish government has the 
the scope to do it. Well, when we make that that connection back with the, with the public and and we have that grown up sensible discussion about the constitutional future, um, I'm I'm pretty confident that, that the SNP will be in a, a good place next year, and that's that's my starting point on all of this, Jeff. Um, and you know. I am loath to predict the future in politics. Who would have thought a couple of years ago that we'd have a situation like Partygate and we'd have UK Prime Ministers crashing the economy and changing on an almost weekly basis? And camper um, vans in your former leaders. Ah, well, that, well, I, was, I wasn't going to put that into the mix, but cheers for that, you know? Uh, it's very important we have balance, Stephen, you know? Uh, yeah, I was is. waiting for Andy to add that in. Uh, but uh, cheers to Jeff, friendly fire. Uh, but, you, you know, once we're able to once we're able to articulate these these things in the, in the heat of a general election campaign, I think I think we're going to be in a good spot. My only interest in camper vans is that I thought it was a really nice camper van. I quite, I quite like camper vans, so that, that wasn't really that was the politics of it or not interesting to me. You're not the only one who thought it was really nice, apparently, Andy. Well, anyway, go on. Um, I, I mean, I agree with a lot of uh, what Stephen has said. Um, I think that I guess the uh, one bit of nuance I would give to it is that I don't think any of the political parties are exciting the population at the moment and I include the SNP in that. I don't just include Labour and the Tories. I think um, the offer is pretty dismal, to be honest. And um, I think uh, I've seen a real change over the last probably 12 months, I think, um, in the small business community, which is primarily where I operate the SME community on a day-to-day basis. I've never seen people so angry um, not just about the lack of progress, but almost about the lack of willingness to progress. Um, the feeling that government doesn't actually care very much. Um, and that is mainly directed at the Scottish government, is, is the truth. Um, and, and that may not be fair or accurate, but perception that's the perception, and perception is very important in politics. Um, I think in the general population, you know, if I come away from my business life and just think about my daily life you know with other school parents and all that sort of thing I've never seen the level of cynicism that there is right now about all politics and politicians to be honest people presume that they will not have any assistance from government Um, government is increasingly seen as being a problem not a solution Um, because it's increasingly seen north and south of the border as being incompetent um, and again, perception is everything in that respect. And there's lots of arguments you could make to say that's not fair, and I would make some of them myself. Um, but I think there is an increasing perception of incompetence, north and south. Um, I don't think there's ever been a worse return on tax. You know, tax is the highest it's ever been, and the product, if you want to call it that, in the form of public services has never been worse. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for it, but, you know, that is is the reality of where we are. And I think that... Um, you know, Stephen said the key thing is to increase the tax base. Absolutely could not agree more. The difficulty in our country at the moment is we're not talking about how to increase the tax base. We're having a conversation about whether or not we believe in economic growth. Right? They're not doing that elsewhere in Europe, let me tell you. They're not talking about whether we believe in economic growth. They're talking about how to grow the economy. And I, I, so I, I don't think we're necessarily in the the right place to excite people and to really make progress. I think one thing, though, that is a really important lesson for Labour, and um, Stephen's 100% right about this, is that support for Labour has absolutely plateaued, and support for the SNP, which was steadily going down, has stabilised. It's not as high as it was, but then it was internationally, historically, ridiculously high for a long period of time. Um, you know, at, at the high 30% and, you know, sometimes ducking back up into 40%, that's an astonishingly high level of support for a party that's been in government for a decade and a half. A very, very, very high level of support. Mm-hmm. And I think the lesson for Labour, and I've talked about before the two constituencies that they have to appeal to, soft unionists and soft nationalists, Soft unionists will come back, have come back to Labour and will continue to come back to Labour by default. They're people who voted for the Tories because they were the safest option in the union and now they think the Tories are going to lose so they're simply not going to vote for them anymore. They were never Tories, they were unionists and that's why they voted for the Tories. They'll now vote Labour if Keir Starmer's in Downing Street. 
the difficulty for Labour is they're not too many of them think they're going to get soft nationalists back just because they're not the Tories and they'll get some of them but they won't get them all until they say here's what the union looks like under us here's what Scotland looks like under a Labour government at Westminster because at the moment it looks far too similar to what it does under a Tory government in Westminster. And they have got to create something that excites people on the union. And they haven't, and I think they're too scared to do it. And if they don't do it, they'll lose. So, so, so Andy, if I can just jump in on that. So I, I think that's a, a really interesting point that you're making. And, you know, I was I was listening very closely to some of the, the senior shadow cabinet today. Um, the the Labour shadow cabinet that is obviously defending the the two child cap policy, and what struck me the most about that perhaps is is not necessarily their their ambivalence towards the, the policy, it's the fact that they're saying that Britain is broke, there is no money, there is no money for us to do anything, and you know, I guess in that context, for us as Scottish nationalists, what we have to do is to be quite clear about where we see things as being different. And calling that phrase I was using earlier, the, the real change, real hope, and I, I don't say that lightly because when when you're talking about economic growth, like I, I believe fundamentally in economic growth, I think it can only be a good thing. If, if you're up in Aberdeen, you, you see the fruits of that. You see also see the failings of it as well with some of the communities that have been left behind, which is which is not good and not correct. But you also see the the benefits that can be um, that can be achieved. So. So for me, it's it's pretty simple. You, you say to folk, this is the vision that we have for Scotland. The vision that we have for Scotland is one where people can come and live and work here to create their own businesses. It's a Scotland where you, you really get at the forefront of the green renewable gold rush. You say, this is how we're going to have economic growth in the year to come. We're going to have domestic supply chains rooted in Scotland. You're going to be able to capitalise upon... Uh, the resources that we've got off our coast. Do you do that in a way which supports current industry but promotes um, the future industries to really give yourself that competitive advantage in the future? And then you use that resource to the benefit of the people who live here. And then you say, but as part of that, we want to have access to a market of 500 million plus people. You 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 give people an aspiration, something to, to aim for. Now, some folk will rightly say, but that doesn't deal with my bills tomorrow. And and it doesn't. And I'll be I'll be pretty blunt on that. We don't have the the powers in Scotland to resolve those problems. And um, though they rest in Westminster, but the politicians in Westminster don't want to change anything. And um, Labour are saying that at the moment, like they're just they're just going to go along for the ride. And um, and I think in that context of being able to offer something to people which is a bit more positive, um, we need to be in that space as a as a party. And I think it's a fair challenge that you put to, to all politicians in that regard. It's not easy, um, and it requires some some pretty bold thinking, but it's where we need to be for sure. I, I was going to come in, Stephen, um, quite predictably, as you know, <laughs> a bit of a hobby horse of mine. You just mentioned there, you know, Green Industrial Revolution. I couldn't agree more with you. Um, we have the critical mass in this country and skills and experience and infrastructure to make massive inroads in this. And I think the party that gets there with a compelling and coherent vision mm-hmm. first uh, could could win major rewards at the ballot box if you, uh, as you said earlier, make it relevant to them and their personal circumstances. But uh, I can't let this podcast go without mentioning oil and gas. And I've been quite clear publicly about my uh, frustration at the Scottish government's current consulti- consultation position of presumption against oil and gas, and I'm looking at uh, right now in front of me two um, slides um, from Wood Mackenzie. Firstly, uh, UK oil and gas production has material lower emissions than imports. Oil imports would have 500% more emissions than oil from Rosebank and Cambo once electrified. Now, that is the two controversial developments, as we all know, that there's a lot of um, uh, publicity about. Second slide. Uh, Across the life of the two fields, there will be an average of 900 jobs created for uh, 30 years. Now, we both know, Stephen, that the uh, massive offshore wind bounty uh, green hydrogen and carbon capture and storage 
uh, particularly going back to uh, offshore wind, floating offshore wind, these technologies are not quite available at scale. So we must protect that critical mass, largely concentrated in the northeast of Scotland where you're an MP, to ensure that it's there for the time that we can accelerate new energies. So what message are you taking to Hamza Youssef about the presumption against oil and gas? And are you hoping that that will change uh, uh, course and position and tack? So the, the, there's there's two things for me on that, Jeff. When when we're talking about oil and gas, um, I often feel like the the discussion is very polarised, um, and as such, there's not a lot of sense that, that gets talked in around our energy situation. So um, as it as it stands, there's two things for me that matter when it comes to energy. It's energy security and su- security of supply, given everything that's that's going on uh, within Europe and globally but also climate change. Um, and what we need to do is make sure that the um, the assessments which are undertaken in relation to new fields, the climate compatibility checks are as robust as they can possibly be. Um, I don't think they are robust as they can possibly be at the moment. I think that there needs to be a bit more teeth put into that. But that needs to follow and fall into the wider energy security outlook because, you, you know, we need to be able to provide... <laughs> need to be provide households with certainty over their supply. Um, now, whether that's from oil and gas, whether that's from offshore wind, whether that's from onshore wind, whether in the future that's from wave, tidal, green hydrogen, um, maybe even blue hydrogen in the, in the intervening period, we, we almost need government to take a holistic view here and say, this is what we think our energy demand is going to be. Here is where it's going to come from, and this is how we're going to do it through and hopefully a green industrial strategy. There's a there's a huge bounty to be had here. I don't think it's unfair to call it a, a green renewables gold rush, because it is. Um, the United States um, are obviously aware of this with the uh, perhaps poorly titled IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, the, the EU's responding in kind. We know that, that China and India are putting huge investment into to battery technology. We know that Japan's... Uh, seeking to do likewise. If, if we don't get on the pathway to securing these technologies, then we'll get left behind. And what happens at that point, if in particular you have an early shutdown of the North Sea, as uh, as I think is Labour's policy now, is you end up in a situation where the people who work there, who can deliver that change, who can deliver the investment, who can deliver that security supply for decades, centuries to come, they go and get jobs elsewhere. You know as well as I do, they'll go and work in Brazil or they'll go and work in Africa or something. Um, And then then you lose lose everything. Um, So it can't be a a one or the other uh, on on this one. Um, It has to be a holistic view upon where we go. Um, And I think the government can get itself to to that point. I think the Scottish government will hopefully get itself to to that point. Um, I would certainly gently encourage them to, to do so. And I think the UK will ultimately get to that point as well, because I don't think Labour's position is sustainable, just as I don't think the Tories' position is sustainable. You know, when they're saying, oh, we'll, we'll bleed it dry, we'll get every last drop out, like, even industry knows that, that that's not going to happen. Um, so there's, there, is a, there is a middle ground here, but that middle ground needs to be focused on climate and it needs to be focused on energy security. And I think we can do this in a, in a sensible, pragmatic way, which reaps the economic benefits for households in Scotland and ultimately hopefully provides them with not just sustainable, cheaper energy bills, which is what we want to see, but also gives, and this is a crucial point when it comes to economic growth, it gives businesses in Scotland the ability to tap into cheap energy and to, to provide that competitive advantage, particularly for your big data centres and the like, which are going to rule the world in, in the years to come if all the AI predictions are to be, mm. uh, to be, taken, uh, to be taken at heart. So there's huge opportunities uh, and we need to tap into it. Yeah, and so I think what you're basically saying is that presumption against should should just be dropped from the I, Scottish government. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you should put words into people's mouths, Jeff. I thought, it was a, I thought it was a very good answer, Stephen, but that's what I took from it. Anyway. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Um, and, and, and there's a serious point here as well uh, about this uh, presumption against oil and gas. Uh, I've been looking at the OBR figures. And on the OBR figures... Uh, given uh, revenues of the UK continental shelf, the uh, Scottish deficit is likely to be there or thereabouts less than that of the UK within three to five years. 
Now, if Hamza Youssef is taking to the table at the next general election um, about the case for independence, I suspect, as I've said publicly, I think it's much more likely that it's going to be contested hotly at the 2026 election if he's still there. Then what a position to be able to say when your biggest weakness in the independence debate is the affordability of independence, that you can have a a lesser deficit than that of the UK, then it's purely just for that narrow political reasons. It adds to the point about actually being able to lower your emissions through uh, oil and gas, which is not explored enough, uh, being able to protect your critical mass in skills and experience uh, until these new energies come up to scale, and then truly make the case for a green industrial, uh, industrial revolution of which Scotland can be truly global leaders. And I really hope to see that from the Scottish government. You know, having a having a deficit which is obviously lower than, than the UK's would, would be nice. Um, but I don't think it's enough, personally, when it comes to the economic case for independence. I think we do need to go further. Um, I think we need to be pretty bold about where we want to be in terms of that renewables future. Um, I don't think we should just settle for simply being a, a renewables hub uh, in, for the UK, if, if we're still part of it, or a renewables hub for uh, Europe. I think we need to be looking at global levels here. We've achieved that when it comes to subsidy technology um, like pretty successfully. Uh, we can do so again. Um, there is the people there to do that, and it's the it's those people that we need to retain um, because if we lose them, then then we've got serious problems. But that's that that's how you deliver an economic future for an independent Scotland. Um, it's where it's where we can offer people real hope, real change, and, and it's where we need to all be focused. Yeah, it's really interesting. I want to come back to something Andy alluded to in what he was saying a few minutes ago, which was that actually the debate around economic growth has been about whether economic growth is a good thing. And of course, he's alluding to the Green Party and the Butte House Agreement in Scotland. Um, I just wonder, Stephen, if you, from your perspective, can tell us what the per- what purpose the Butte House Agreement, this coalition with the Greens, between the SNP and the Greens in Scotland, what purpose that agreement is currently serving today? What good is coming from that? So... I think for colleagues in Holyrood, to whom I speak quite a lot, um, it, it provides it provides certainty, um, and I think certainty in politics at the moment is, is Does incredibly it? important. What, what about the deposit uh, return scheme? That's gone. Highly protected marine areas gone. These are things that have emerged from this partnership. That wasn't certainty at any stretch, was it? Yeah, but what I, said, I meant certainty in terms of knowing um, where the political uh, balance ultimately lies. Um, in terms of uh, the DRS and HBMAs and and uh, a few other things, um, I, I actually someone said to me the other day um, on another podcast, I think it was that, um, that that was in some way a criticism or was a way to, to criticise Hamza. I actually thought it showed pretty strong leadership. Uh, to be honest, to say you know what. Um, these things aren't working in the way that I think they should, um, so we're going to go down a different tact. That's not easy to do. Uh, it's particularly not easy to do if you're in if you're in coalition with someone. Um, but I thought it was him setting out his stall in a pretty positive positive way. Um, you, you know, the house agreement does provide certainty for colleagues in, in Hollywood regarding the 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 makeup of the decision making process in, in Parliament. And I guess if like if you're to look at it and compare it to some of the chaos that we've had in London. Um, it is quite a, a stark, a stark contrast. Has it been everything that that the Greens hoped it would be? Probably not. Has it been everything that the SNP hoped it would be? Probably not. Um, but has it been ultimately a, a better thing than not having it? I think probably is is the case uh, based upon what I've I've heard from colleagues who are, who are in Hollywood. Mm. And of course, I'm I'm a little bit detached from that being sure, down, sure. Uh, I get that down in London, yeah. on the front line up the road. If you were the SNP leader in uh, Edinburgh in Holyrood, would you sign a similar deal with the Green Party? There's a lot of ebbs in there, Callum. Uh, oh, it's, fun, it's fun to think about, isn't it? Good thought experiment. Uh, it's, it's not something I think about. Um, no, think I think about uh, it now if you want. <laughs> As you can tell from my ponderous <laughs> look out the window, I I, uh, I, I am. Uh, no, I think I think comes as I genuinely um, given. Given the challenges that the parties have internally, um, given the the fact that we've obviously had to kind of put ourselves onto an election footing, given the fact that he's had to make some difficult decisions in government already, I mean the guy the guy has done impressively well um, in in my in my eyes. I, I didn't know Hamza um, particularly well. I, I, the only time I met him before the election contest was at a burn supper in February for about two minutes when he was chatting to my mum about 
uh, nurse's pay. I think he was getting his ear chewed off uh, by her <laughs> on that one. Um, he took it in good spirits, to be fair, because uh, that's that's kind of character he is. And I, but I think we've uh, we've massively benefited from having uh, Hamza uh, and his uh, his type of character in that in that role over the course of the recent months, um, because it has been a challenging time. And I think the way he's dealt with it um, has has been uh, has been bloody impressive. Yeah. You know, I, we I guess we talk a lot about um, the priorities of politicians versus the priorities of people, and I, I've often I find I always find the answers, both private and public answers, to the question that you asked, Callum, about the Butte House Agreement, mm. are really interesting. Um, because I, and Stephen, you've heard the podcast before. You'll know my view. I think the SNP has a massive blind spot on the issue of the Butte House Agreement. Uh, I think that I thought you were a big fan, Andy. That's, that was massive. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were playing three D chess or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of many things. Not not sure about that. Um, look, I I, I, um, I think that the SNP has become so um, obsessed with how much easier it has made life inside the Scottish Parliament building that it has lost sight of how difficult it is making life outside the Scottish Parliament building. I think it's a massive, massive problem for the party. Uh, I think it's having repercussions uh, in quite a widespread way um, in in normal life. I think it's having repercussions in terms of the perception of uh, competence from the Scottish Government. Um, and I think while you might have been able to make the argument about the cost-benefit of it at the back end of the last parliament when it was pretty chaotic and votes were being lost and so on and so on and when there was an argument to have a supermajority uh, for independence, I think it is significantly more difficult to make that argument now. Nonetheless, I think that blind spot exists. But the, 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 the big issue comes back, of course, to what we discussed before about oil and gas. Stephen made a very eloquent argument in favour of the just transition, which is a phrase that everybody uses, but not everybody actually argues for, because a lot of people argue for the opposite of the just transition. A lot of people argue for the cliff edge. Um, and on the, other side of the, on the other side of the fence, a lot of people argue for no transition at all. And actually, Stephen has made an argument which is pretty much where I think the vast majority of the population will be, which is that we... Want, this is actually not a binary discussion about whether you like hydrocarbons or whether you like renewables. It's a, it's a discussion about how to get from one to the other, which basically everybody wants to do. Um, the difficulty with that is, I think, if Patrick Harvey was listening to Stephen's answer on just transition, he's not nodding his head once. Not once. Because he doesn't agree with it. And I think we have two opposing issues here. We have... Um, the 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 Green Party policy on oil and gas, and we have the SNP's policy, if that's what it is, on just transition. And at some point or other, these two, this immovable object versus the irresistible force, are going to collide, and it's going to be extremely messy because they just don't work. So I'm I'm pretty relaxed of of. Uh... If others disagree with with my my views on a, a just transition, and you know, whilst whilst it is very much a, an agreement that's that's in place, um, and there's there's certain elements where where we all do agree, I, I think within that there is there's obviously scope for for disagreement, um, and, and I'm I would be surprised if um, the desire to to retain jobs and, and economic growth and deliver a a renewable future um, was was that much of a of an issue for for some people. Uh, if, if it is, I'd be, I'd be pretty disappointed. But you know, even if that is the case, and that's that's a problem, um, there's other there's other areas where quite clearly um, my colleagues and the Green Party do agree. And I think to a certain degree, the, the people of Scotland want want politicians to agree on stuff sometimes and work together. Um, Maybe they'd prefer we were working more with other people, but we're working together with the with the Greens, and I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, uh, Steve and Stephen, um, I've watched you go into quite a difficult situation when you took over from uh, Ian Blackford uh, as le- uh, uh, Westminster leader. I've been pretty impressed with the way you've um, 
handled yourself, particularly at the dispatch box every Wednesday. I think you've 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 given as good as you've got, and and perhaps better uh, than uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, particularly with some really good quips. And I'm watching you and listening to you throughout your interviews, including today. And I'm sensing that there is a bit more to come in the career of Stephen Flynn. So, uh, in the interest of brevity, will we ever see you at Holyrood? Yes or no? Don't know. <laughs> Don't know, maybe yes. Don't know, I mean, maybe no. <laughs> I mean, any, any Scottish politician, um, I, I think, would want to find themselves in, in the Scottish Parliament. And, you know, uh, I, I'm no different in that regard. But I'm, I'm not going to predict what's going to happen in the future. I'm, I'm more just focused on making sure that, that we're in a situation where we can get through this general election, be successful, uh, and annoy people like you, Jeff, by not answering your question. <laughs> and just to be clear, what does success in the general election look like? He's winning the election, Callum, and we're going to win it well. And what does winning mean? In the, in the content, we'll go again. <laughs> in the something, we'll go again, because someone asked me about the seller. Um, so um, God, I cut that bit. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, in the in the context of Westminster election, of course, if you win a majority of seats, you win. I mean, if the Labour Party win a majority of seats, they'll expect to see their uh, manifesto implemented. Mm. So if the Tories somehow win a majority of the seats, they'll expect to have their manifesto implemented. Um, so, so we are no different. We, we'd we'd see winning as winning. Uh, the, the majority of seats in Scotland, but my ambitions aren't limited to that. I think we can go much further, much further, uh, and and do much better than that for sure. Stephen Flynn, thank you very much. You've been very generous with your time and very compassionate to Jeff's rather spiky questions, so we appreciate that too. Yeah, I mean, given <laughs> given his earlier quip about the football, this is probably <laughs> the last time I'll see you guys. So it was nice. <laughs> It was nice. It was nice knowing you. Well, it's not um, like Jeff to burn another bridge with a guest. Uh, all, he went... all, all, all the best. Um, <laughs> I'm sure your view, your numbers, or with our numbers, are ready to fall off a cliff edge. Uh, and uh, I look forward to getting back to the rest of politics. So, uh, Never cheers, guys. Sorry, where's the mute button? Where? Shut him up, somebody. Thank you. Oh, uh, you thin-skinned politician. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Thanks cheers, guys. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank See you after. Cheers.